0: Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by teaching pastor Ian Simpkins as we kick off the series, Hope for Everyone. If you're new, we'd love to learn your name. Simply text CONNECT to 630-793-6399 and we'll send you more information about community. Remember, you can always find us on Sunday streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. I am so glad that you are here today. Before we begin, I'd love for us just to pray together. So wherever you're at, take a a deep breath. Try and get settled if you can, and uh, let's pray together. Father, open our eyes, stir our hearts, and teach us to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. We thank you, God, and we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, the season is officially upon us, right? The season of love, joy, peace, chaos, stress, credit card bills. Is anyone feeling the stress already? <laughs> it is fun for me because I have two little kids, though. So when you're a little kid, Christmas is really about one thing, right? Presence. Like, can you remember when you were a kid the anticipation of Christmas morning, when you would run down the steps and you would tear the paper in the hopes that you got that one gift that you'd been longing for. Like, I would love to know, what were some of those gifts that you longed for, that you hoped for, some of the best gifts that you ever received? For me, one of them was this bad boy right here. Does anyone remember Super Soakers, this edition? It boasted that it shot up to 50 feet. I, I don't think that that's accurate. But when I tore the paper off and saw a Super Soaker, I thought I was on cloud nine. Now, it, it was Detroit in December, so I, I couldn't use it except for like in the bathtub for the first six months. But re- regardless of what that gift was for you, I think we can all agree there's like nothing better than getting the gift that you hoped for. Now, conversely, there's almost nothing worse than being disappointed by not getting the gift that you'd hope for. I have a couple that come to mind for me. One year, my grandma got me a book on how to protect your kids against pesticides and foods. That was confusing. Uh, one year, I got just a block of wood in wrapping paper from my cousin, because he, he thought that would be funny. I remember one year, my grandma and grandpa had gotten all the grandkids' gifts, and as they were opening them, it was either a watch or a turtleneck. So I, I remember thinking, oh, okay, I'm gonna get either a watch or a turtleneck. Well, when I opened my gift, it was actually a used pair of rubber-soled, knee-high wool stockings. Like, I I didn't know if I should laugh or (laughs) if I should cry. Like, it was was so disappointing. In fact, I was really interested to know what were some of your worst gifts, your most disappointing gifts. I asked this question online just a couple of weeks ago, and (laughs) you all responded. Here are just some of my favorite responses to that question. Uh, Danielle said, my grandma, RIP Mary, but this was bogus, once gave me a collection of little sewing kits and shower caps that you get from hotel rooms, Hilton and Marriott packaging and all. I can't sew to save my life. Anyone gotten a gift with like the complimentary label still on it? Here's another one of my favorites. Nancy said, uh, my kids had a year. Grandma said that she was no longer buying them Christmas and birthday gifts because if she bought gifts for the kids, she wouldn't have money to go on the gambling boat anymore. (laughs) I mean, you you gotta appreciate her honesty, right? Or this one. Christy said, the year I turned 16, I really wanted a car. I received a Matchbox car and thought it was the mini version of what was actually my gift. Freaking out, excited. No, just a ha-ha, funny Matchbox car. And she wasn't the only one to give this response, by the way. Lauren said, Christy, my parents did the same thing to me. You're not alone. So at least at least they have each other to console each other now. How about this one? Uh my mother-in-law gave me a pound of American cheese and a pound of butter unwrapped. <laughs> Anyone have uh unwrapped food gifts? Now this one, this one is just just the icing on the cake. Jennifer said, one year my husband, then boyfriend, received a super ugly sweater from my mother, uh, his future mother-in-law. After pretending he really liked it, we took it back to Meyer to return it. After a good 10 minutes, the guy apologizes and explains that they haven't had that sweater in the store for over 10 years. Apparently, my mother found it in her closet while searching for other gifts that she had hidden there. She had no idea where the sweater came from, but apparently my husband won the jackpot Seeing how he was the right size, oh, and I think we got $3 in store credit out of sheer pity. Ten years. <laughs> Ten years that was not even on the shelves anymore. Uh, maybe you've experienced that kind of disappointment. Now, I think disappointment at Christmas time isn't just something that kids experience. Adults don't like being disappointed either. And I'm and I'm not talking just about like that ugly cat sweater. I'm talking about real disappointment? Like things that you had hoped for, like struggles that you're still facing, unfulfilled dreams. Do you have some of those this season? I I think Christmas is a season where we we tend to reflect on the things that matter most to us. But if we're honest, with all that joy is often mixed a lot of pain. Like we, we had hopes for our families, but we grieve the distance, or maybe the estrangement. We had dreams and hopes for our career, but now we just, we dread another Zoom meeting. We we had hopes and dreams for our finances, but right now, maybe things have just never been more difficult. In fact, 2020 has kind of been a year of disappointments, hasn't it? I mean, vacations we couldn't take, businesses we couldn't start, seeing others, gathering, celebrating, weddings, graduations. We had a lot of hopes, a lot of dreams that didn't happen in 2020. In fact, I read just a couple of weeks ago that expectation is the root of all heartache. Christmas is a time for love, joy, and peace. But I think we need to be honest, though. There's a lot of discouragement here as well. There's a lot of dashed hopes. There's a lot of disappointment. So here's what I want us to wrestle with today. I think if Christmas means anything, it means hope. Hope for everyone. No matter the challenges, the unfulfilled dreams, the disappointments, there is hope. So during this series, we're gonna look at some familiar and not so familiar characters of the Christmas story. So by the time of Jesus's incarnation, him coming to earth as a human, uh, the people of God had been waiting over 400 years for the coming Messiah. My guess is that many of them had just lost hope. 400 years of waiting, of silence, of disappointment. Maybe you can relate to feeling like, is this ever actually going to happen? And two people that have been waiting a long, long time were two characters named Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're they're not the most familiar characters in the Christmas story, but they're really, really significant. They had a lot of reason to lose all hope. So we meet him in Luke chapter one, and uh, here's a little bit of their background. Luke chapter one, verse five. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, when it says that, They were childless. Um, There's an obvious level of disappointment, of frustration, but in a first century context, there's a whole lot more going on here. In fact, it was thought to it was thought that as someone who was childless meant that they were cursed. So not only is Elizabeth like carrying the weight of disappointment of not being able to bear a child, on top of that, it's the shame from the community that thinks that she's childless because of some kind of sin. This wasn't just simply pain, it was disgrace. And yet Luke tells us, though, that they were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Do you know what that means? It means that sometimes good, righteous people face deep, crushing disappointments. Maybe you can relate to that. Have you ever felt like, like you're being punished? Have you ever told yourself, man, if I had just been better then things would be better. Zechariah and Elizabeth show us that sometimes good righteous people face painful disappointment. So now Luke continues here in verse 8. Uh, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom, the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, so a couple of things going on here. By lineage, Zechariah is a part of the priesthood. Uh, And in his context, like one of like 18,000 priests. And every year by a sort of lottery, one priest was selected for the honor of going into the temple to burn incense. So I want you to imagine Zechariah, who we're already told is very old, year after year waits and hopes that his number would come up. And year after year, time after time, it isn't. It's not called. Do you think that he had given up hope that maybe his number would just never be called? I share that because I think it's important for us to recognize that Zachariah and Elizabeth have been longing and waiting for a number of things for a very long time, and yet they've remained faithful. That means for us, sometimes hope says wait. Hope says wait. When we're face-to-face with our disappointments, With our dashed dreams, hope says wait. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a word, yahal, and it's sometimes translated wait, but it's also sometimes translated hope. In fact, the, the word is so similar that it's used interchangeably throughout the Old Testament. Hoping and waiting are deeply connected. So Zechariah enters the temple to burn some incense and here's what happens in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. And I would add, uh, you think? Like, this is not at all what Zechariah anticipated would happen here. And the angel says to him, do not be afraid. He he must have seen (laughs) Zechariah's terror. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. I want you to imagine hearing those words for the first time the thing that you've been longing for, for hoping for your entire life. I I wonder if Zechariah was even thinking, no, I can't can't get Elizabeth's hopes up again. I I can't relay this. I, I can't do this to her. And the angel gets even more specific. Says, you're to call him John. Like it's a done deal, right? Here's what you're to name him. You're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. In fact, the angel Gabriel goes on and actually ties John to an Old Testament prophecy here in verse seventeen. Uh, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So again, imagine you're Zechariah and you're you're hearing this. Are you confused? Are you afraid? My guess is he was likely shocked, right? So in this state of feeling shocked, of overwhelmed, he seeks some assurance. He asks him this, how can I be sure of this? A perfectly legitimate question. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is also well along in years, aka we're too old for this. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall just to hear Gabriel's tone. Like was he irritated? Was he authoritative? Can can you hear Gabriel saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. In response to his doubt, this is what the angel says to him. You'll be silent And not be able to speak until this, meaning John's birth, happens because you did not believe my words. Now, there's a couple of things that I think are worth noting here. Um, Zechariah needed to remember that God is the God of the possible. But don't forget, though, Zechariah was a priest. He, he knew scriptures. He was trained in the Torah. He would have been very familiar with all of the promises that God has fulfilled. In fact, he would have known of another story of another childless couple named Abraham and Sarah, whom God blessed, God provided for. Ironically, Zechariah's very name means God has remembered. But in this moment, he forgets. Maybe you can relate. You know the scriptures, you know the stories, and yet sometimes in the pit of disappointment, you forget. Is, isn't that often true of us? Like, like we believe in the abstract, but we doubt in the particular? Like we believe that God so loved the world, but we're, we're not so sure that he actually likes me all that much. But today, we can remember that hope says remember. Hope says remember. Remember what God has promised. Remember how God has been faithful. In fact, uh, in the gospel of John, Jesus says, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit, the advocate who will both teach you, but also remind you of the things I've already taught you. There's a remembering in our hopefulness. So Luke goes on, verse 24. says, after this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. So hope has become a reality. Like now now is the time to celebrate. In fact, here's what Elizabeth says, "The Lord has done this for me. He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people." The cloak of shame has been removed. God has come through for them. And in fact, they actually name him John as they were commanded, and John means God is gracious. Now is the time to celebrate God's graciousness. And, it, and it's so like God to do even more than they asked for. They wanted a son, but instead they got a prophet. A prophet of whom Jesus said this, by the way, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine having those words said about you? The time for celebration has come. And yet, we know not all stories end this way, right? In fact, most stories don't. I'll be honest, I've experienced this firsthand. Dreams that never actualized, things I've prayed for that never came to pass, friends who are still far from God, people dear to me who did not get healed, did not find restoration or the hope that they so deeply longed for. Maybe you've experienced that as well. In fact, just yesterday, I found this painting by G.F. Watts, who was this English Victorian painter and sculptor. And in the late 1800s, He painted this painting, and it's called Hope. And it doesn't look very hopeful. It's sort of glib and dark. And she's playing this this harp, this lyre, with just just one string. And I I remember reading somewhere, someone asked him, "Why, why is she blindfolded? Why is she hunched over? And Watt says, she's blindfolded because she's seeing something with her heart that her eyes can't see and she's leaning over to hear just that one final note played. Hope in a world of despair and disappointment is leaning in, is listening to even that faint note of redemption, of God's presence. What would it look like for us in the midst of disappointments to pursue hope? God's goodness can be found most certainly in our celebration, in our rejoicing, but God's goodness can also be found in our lament, in our struggle, in every step of the journey. I think we can often become fixated on what hasn't happened yet. The thing that wasn't fulfilled, the thing we don't have, and I get it. I've been there. I'm not in any way saying this as someone who's like figured it out, but when we get fixated on what we don't have or what hasn't happened yet, I think we will miss God's presence, his goodness in the here and now. Hope says trust trust in God's goodness, even when we can't see with our own eyes that anything is happening behind the scenes. Hope is a future certainty grounded in present reality. It says, God, even though I can't see what you're doing in this or through this, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting that you see me. You know the longings of my heart. So I'll continue to hope. I'll hunch forward to listen to that one quiet note. So when we're facing disappointments, maybe we could ask, what can I learn from this? Or maybe more pointedly, where is God's goodness in this, in even my disappointments? When God doesn't give us what we want, we can trust that he will still give us what we need. Hope says, trust in the goodness of God. 2,000 years after Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Jewish people faced another dark time. It was a time of unspeakable horror and pain. Disappointment doesn't even begin to describe what was going on. If ever someone had a reason to give up hope, it was now. And when the Allied troops reached Auschwitz and liberated the camp, they found these words scratched into the walls of one of the barracks. And it reads, I believe in the sun, even though I don't see it shine. I believe in love, even though I don't see it expressed. I believe in God, even though I can't hear him speak. What is it that keeps us going from one day to the next what helps us fight through our sorrow and pain. It's one word and it's hope. Hope, not in ourselves and our ability to muster up energy or come to the right conclusion, but in a God who sees us and knows us by name. says, you are my beloved. You are my son and my daughter. When we come face to face with our struggles, our unfulfilled longings, our disappointments. Hope says, wait, wait. It's never too late for hope to enter the story. Hope says, remember, remember the faithfulness of God. Remember when he has come through, when he's delivered, when he's comforted, when he's healed. And then hope says, trust, trust, recognize that God is at work even when we can't see it. That when life feels darkest, God is often nearest. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, at Advent. Friends, in the middle of whatever you're facing today, whatever disappointment, whatever heartache, whatever unmet expectations, there is hope. Because there's a God who loves us and is coming after us. He is relentless and he's pursuing you right now, loving you right now. How how can we say all this? I believe that the hope of a Christ follower is not just some blind optimism. It's not even just some like intellectual ascent. It's rooted in something that happened 2000 years ago in a little no-name town called Bethlehem. Another child was born. And he's the hope of the world. He came to help people find their way back to God to bring healing and restoration and light to a world so desperately in need of it. To bring heaven to earth to point to a time where there'll be no more disappointment, no more pain, no more tears. As the Christmas carol recalls, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Jesus is our hope. The incarnation, the resurrection, that's where we place our hope. You can cut all the flowers, but spring is still coming. He is our hope. And so I'll end with this. These words from the Apostle Paul are words to all of us. Hold on to these words etch them in your heart this season amidst whatever disappointment or pain or sorrow you're feeling. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is both the object of our hope and the author of it. When we can't see it, let's lean in to hear the song of hope in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are as present now as you ever were, God. And whatever disappointment or pain or sorrow any of us are feeling right now being crushed by God, As you fill our hearts with a new song? Teach us to hope again, to trust you, not just with our Sundays, God, but with our entire lives, to loosen our grip and surrender again and again and again. God, help us and teach us to hope. We thank you, God. We love you and we pray all these things in the healing, powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.